0: Hey, Cracked fans. With the summer months just around the corner, we know all of you are beginning to think about how you can best maximize your chances to improve your game with the warm weather. Well, thankfully, we here at Crack Rackets are so excited to tell all of you about the 254 tennis camp happening this summer at Baylor University. Now, over the course of three weeks in June, starting June 12th through the 16th and ending June 26th through the 30th, you'll have the opportunity to learn from 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 some of the best coaches in the business in an all-encompassing tennis experience. You'll have the opportunity to improve each and every part of your game, whether that be on the singles court, whether that be on the doubles court, through drilling, through point play, match play as well. You'll also, of course, receive a free t-shirt for participating in the camp, but also have the chance to see yourself broadcasted. As our Crack Rackets team will be providing coverage of the final day each week at this two-five-four tennis camp. Again, you'll have the opportunity to learn from some of the best coaches in the business. I promise, Coach Michael Woodson and the Baylor team going to make it an extraordinarily enjoyable time. How can you get signed up today? Well, you can learn more information by visiting the Baylor website by going to baylor.edu slash athletics slash tennis camp again that's baylor.edu slash athletics slash tennis camp to sign up today now this camp open to any and all entrants but limited only by age number grade level and or gender again you can learn more about this camp by going to baylor.edu slash athletics slash tennis camp today don't miss out folks gonna be three very exciting fun weeks of tennis down at baylor university be sure to sign up for the 254 Tennis Camp happening at Baylor today. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, June 15th. A quick point of clarification before we start today's podcast. Many, if not all of you listeners will be hearing this show on Thursday, June 16th. You may then be asking yourself, why did Alex date this for Wednesday, June 15th? Because on today's episode, I'll be recapping all the action that happened on Wednesday on the ATP and WTA tours we here at Cracked Rackets are based in Indianapolis, a city that falls in the eastern time zone of the United States as such. These tournaments happening in Europe, typically wrap-up play around 4 p.m., 5 p.m. our time. That gives me about an hour, two hours to go back, re-watch anything I need to recap to best prepare myself for this show, run through the stats, pull up all the tabs I need to record these podcast episode. I try to, of course, get them recorded, get them published for your commute home, whether that's on the East Coast, on the West Coast, but of course, again, given the time zone these matches fall in, I'm recording these podcasts usually in the evening. I date them as such on the day I am recording them. I also hope hearing that opening date informs all of you listeners on the day I will be recapping on any given podcast. With that said, again, recapping Wednesday, June 15th action that happened across the ATP and WTA tours. And the biggest storyline, which is always the case in these opening weeks of the grass court season, are the contenders that are emerging, not necessarily. Early to win the title at the 2022 Wimbledon, but to do damage. Who are going to be the names we are going to be discussing those unexpected runs, the unseeded players who knock off those 23, 24, 25 seeds in the first round, perhaps the lower seeded players that are best positioning themselves to make a push towards the second week, to make a push towards a surprise quarterfinal run. Of course, we know at this point, or we have a good framework of who the top contenders are going to be on the men's side, but the stat, I will continue. Continue to turn to on the women's side, seven of the top 20 WTA players have played fewer than 21 matches on grass courts in their careers. In other words, 20 matches or fewer, uh, certainly given the absence of Russian, Belarusian players. You think about the players who have had success of late, the Ekaterina Alexandrovas of the world who won a title last week, the Kudermatovas or Kasatkinas of the world who were quarter finalists, semi-finalists, respectively, at Roland Garros, you obviously think of last year's semi finalist, arena, Sabalenka. All of those players and more will not be allowed to compete at this year's Wimbledon on the women's side or on the men's side, given uh, the ongoing unprovoked aggression by Russia towards Ukraine. As such, we are looking for the contenders, looking for the names who may emerge, who may take advantage. I don't want to say take advantage because that feels unkosher, but who will, you know, be presented openings in the draw and capitalize on those openings, find themselves advancing into, you know, further into, excuse me, the year's third Grand Slam. When we watch these warm-up events on the grass courts, that's the thing I am keeping my eye out for most. And certainly, again, if you look at Wednesday's results on the ATP and WTA tours, we are seeing those sorts of names emerge now we had this conversation yesterday on both our tennis bets hitting winners episode which you can go find on tennis channels youtube uh we had this conversation with nate Walrath yesterday on this mini break podcast as well it's a theme we've talked about of late here in the grass court season I think Nick Kyrgios is a serious threat, not only to, you know, win a couple of matches, but no, make the second week and perhaps even do damage in the second week of Wimbledon. You look for Kyrgios, semifinalist last week, knocked out in straight sets by Andy Murray in those semifinals, but played a very competitive first set before letting something, you know, obviously comes out, he was facing racial epitaphs from the crowd. And obviously you can only imagine how that impacts a player on court. But for Kyrgios, who you know loses uh, his form in that second set, bows out in straight sets. But look, Kyrgios has bounced back this week. And for a guy whose fitness is often in question, for him to come from the semifinals last week, earn a first-round victory, and then knock off Stefano Tsitsipas in three sets, particularly after dropping the first set in the fashion that he did, 7-6. We see... Exactly the two questions we need to see answered from Nick Kyrgios right now. A, how fit is he? B, how does he want to deal with adversity in any given moment on the court? And whether it was Vili last week, ponce this week, his willingness you know to drop a first set, come out, stay composed, stay focused, earn opening breaks in the second sets in both of those matches where he dropped the first, that's signs of growth. Certainly you look at other things from an on-court perspective, what he's doing with his rack, I want to talk about why I do think Nick Kyrgios is not only a threat to do serious damage at the 2022 Wimbledon, but in my opinion, playing the best tennis of his career. And again, his three-set victory today in uh, Hala over Stefanos Tsitsipas, epitomizing that fact. Of course, you look at some of the other action that broke down throughout the day in Hala. Felix Ogier, Ali Asim continuing to cement his status as a top five contender entering this year's Wimbledon. I'll make the case for why on today's Show Hubi cuts having success, rare success from Pablo Carreno Busta on a grass court as well. I want to break down all the action that happened in Hala. I want to talk the funk unfolding this week at the ATP 500 in London. Yeah, sometimes you forget. Both these events this week on the ATP Tour, the event in Hala, the event in London, both ATP 500s. Now, certainly, you look at the field in Hala that we have players like a Medvedev, like a Felix, like a Hurkacz, all still alive. That feels like an ATP 500 event. You look at the field in London, particularly the top half of the draw, things are getting funky. And certainly, that started Ryan Peniston yesterday knocking off top seed Ruud 7-6-7-6. We discussed that, yesterday yesterday's show, but across the board, Emil Roussevori, grass court quarterfinalist. The 23-year-old would be On the shortlist for most improved player if the 2022 season were to end today was spectacular in a straight set victory over Jack Draper. And now he's going to face another one of those sneaky candidates to do damage at Wimbledon in Marin Cilic. The former Wimbledon finalist, of course, had a career French Open just a month ago, and he's playing better and better throughout the course of his first two matches. That's going to be a fun semi-final. I want to talk about how both Rusevori and Chilich got there, of course. You also look at that bottom half of the draw. Unseeded players in the quarterfinals in Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, who survives a marathon match against Demon Hour. BVDZ, Botic Vandesen, Schculp. Shout out to the two days older than me. Birthday brother. Uh, a big win over Grigor. We'll recap all the action in London. Talk about, again, who are the players that look like they may contend to do some damage at the 2022 Wimbledon on the men's side. Of course, got to cover all the action happening on the women's side as well. 500-level event unfolding in Berlin. As of right now, Coco Gauff is second in DraftKings odds to capture the 2022 women's singles Wimbledon title. Right now, Iga Swiatek is plus 125 against the field, which, again— kind of feels a little bit disrespectful to the rest of the field. Certainly, Shvantec has earned all of the street cred she has built up and should be the favorite entering this Wimbledon, but Shvantec's played fewer than 20 grass court matches in her career, has never advanced to a semifinal, let alone a final, a championship match in Wimbledon. Don't think she's made it past the round of 16 at Wimbledon, actually at the pro level. Of course, a former junior champion, but the fact that Egas 125, the next closest player, is outside 10 to 1 odds. That's a story in itself. But the player that's second right now, according to our friends at DraftKings, the second most likely player to capture the 2022 Wimbledon title is Coco Gauff. And of course, Gauff is coming off of a French Open finals appearance. Of course, Coco Gauff has made the round of 16 in her two appearances at Wimbledon in her career. But I was doubting that Gauff should be second at 12 to 1 odds. and I watched her play Ann Lee today. I was really impressed by what I saw from Coco Goff on the grass courts. Now, I'm not saying she's going to win the 2022 Wimbledon, but I just want to remind everyone on today's show why oddsmakers feel so fondly about Goff. And I know we talked about that a bit yesterday, but actually getting to watch her see uh, watch her play today, excuse me, see her play was what I was trying to say in that first sentence. I'm impressed by what I've seen from Coco Goff. Maybe not... Again, uh, is she going to crack my top five list? I'm going to have to do some soul searching. I may have to disappear into the woods. Certainly, it feels like everywhere right now. We're looking for shade in the United States. It's like 106 degrees these past couple of days in Indianapolis. I know others in the Midwest feeling that heat as well. Hopefully, you're all listening to this podcast in the comfort of an air-conditioned home or maybe you're at the supermarket, maybe you're at the gym, whatever it is you're doing. We appreciate all of you who continue to tune into these mini break podcast because it allows us to do things like break down all the action in Hala, in London, in Berlin of course I'll talk Birmingham, Italy today as well and we're so grateful all of you continue to turn to us for the coverage we here at Crack Rackets know you all deserve of course we will continue to provide that coverage looking forward to going daily throughout the 2022 Wimbledon we have so enjoyed the opportunity to broadcast the SoCal Pro Circuit as well for those of you who haven't tuned in already we've got ITF Championship weekend action on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. You get to see former collegiate all-stars like Duarte Valle, August Holmgren, Gage Brimer, and more compete. Of course, on the women's side, Snow Han and Maria Kozireva. We've gotten to see young you know, teenage talents like Ya'i Young, Talia Gibson. Chance to see some of the rising stars in pro tennis compete. Of course, you can watch that action for free every Saturday and Sunday on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. That action going to continue this weekend with event number three, happening at the Barnes Tennis Center, of course, this Sunday. This is my obligatory announcement. I'm just going to say this every day throughout the week. If any of you Uh, And I would really appreciate this. I know I ask this far too much from you listeners, but on Sunday, which of course is Father's Day, I don't know if that's a global holiday. It's Father's Day, I believe, here in the United States. It's also my father's 60th birthday. So if even one of you tweet, happy birthday, Mr. Gruskin, you don't look a day over 59, which would be the joke that I would ask all of you to employ because that would get him to laugh. If even one of you tweet that on Sunday, you'd make my day, you'd make his day you'd say to him, oh, people actually do listen to your show, Alex. That's good to hear. I will never forget. I did a day of broadcasting when I was last home visiting my parents and I came upstairs at the end of the day. And for the first time in his life, my dad looked at me and was like, oh my God, you really do talk all day. Like You really do have a job. And I was like, I didn't lie to you. I told you what I was doing. Um, But anyways, if any of you would do that to me, it would just mean the world to me. And of course, all of you Cracked Rackets listeners who continue to tune in day in, day out, put up with my nonsense here, 12 minutes into the show. I am immensely grateful for that fact. Of course, you can follow all of our coverage conversations with NCAA women's singles champion Peyton Stearns and going to have a bunch more great conversations for all of you coming up. By the way, we're updating all of the players with collegiate ties, having success on the pro circuit tomorrow on the Great Shot podcast with Chris Hallioris. All of that content available on our website, crackedrackets.com. Of course, a shout out as always to our friends at Tennis Point, the lifeblood of this mini break podcast, supporting us and tennis players everywhere day in, day out with their fantastic products. Of course, I mentioned the heat wave right now coming across the Midwest. Trust me, get that new pair of shoes. Get that new pair of shorts. Get that new shirt. The worst thing in the world you can be is uncomfortable when you're on the tennis court because if you're thinking about your body, if you're sweaty, if you're just not feeling your best, there's no way you're going to be playing your best either. And Thankfully, for all the latest and greatest equipment, you can find it all in one location, tennis-point.com. Use that promo code CR15. You'll get 15% off all sale items, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, Tennis Point.com symbol not the spelling tennis point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, we're gonna go a bit out of order on today's show. Now I always like to say my mother raised me well as such, ladies first. But today's action on the men's side was slightly more intriguing. You look for the women, certainly in Birmingham, everything was chalk. We had straight set results in all four of our singles matches. You know, uh, We'll get again to the WTA action in Berlin, but that was fairly chalk as well, despite some third set drama. Things were not chalk at the ATP event in Hala on Wednesday. In the match, we have to start with the match. I think that was the match of the day. Of course, featured 27-year-old Nick here. Kyrios taking on number two seed and 23-year-old Stefano Tsitsipas. Now, of course, Kyrgios had had a track record of success against Tsitsipas heading into the match. You look at the career head to head between the two Tsitsipas, or excuse me, Kyrgios now 3-0 against Tsitsipas after his victory today, but had beaten Tsitsipas at the ATP Cup 2020, had beaten him at the City Open in 2019. Each of those matches were three sets, and that should not surprise anyone. Of course, you look for Nick Kyrgios, who's holding a career-high 93.8% of the time this season. Uh, He would be the number one server amongst top 50 players on the ATP Tour if he was indeed a top 50 player. Of course, Stefano Tsitsipas right now, currently eighth amongst top 50 players in hold percentage. He's holding 86.1% of the time, and while Tsitsipas has not had a successful track record in his career on the grass courts. You look for Pass now overall in his career on grass courts. He's 2-3 and three in his last 52, 14-12 overall, which again... Not bad, uh, but certainly not what you would expect from a top ten player. It's not what you would hope for. Expect is the wrong word. Not what you would hope for for a top five player in the world. Of course, for Stefano Pass, that break percentage plummets. To, uh, you know, this season in his la- he's breaking serve 22% of the time, which is still beneath the average of the top 50 players on the ATP tour. But that 22% break percentage plummets to 13.6% for his career on grass courts. Now, obviously, everyone's break percentage is going to take a dip, but you feel like attacking his backhand return in particular on these grass courts. It's particularly, I apologize for continuing to use that word, but particularly exploitable. That said, Tsitsipas' serve plus one is going to translate on any surface. His willingness to move forward, his ability to take the ball early on the rise, take time away from you as a server. I mean, he is exceptional serving on the grass courts. That hold percentage for him still above 85%, which puts him above the top 25 and would put him inside the top 15 of servers on the ATP Tour, regardless of surface. Oh, uh, You look for Pass versus Kyrgios today. Again, this was plus one tennis at its finest. Pass saves Seven of the 10 break points he faced in the match wins 82.5% of his first serve points. The difference was, you know, for Stefano Tsitsipas in this match, 42.5% on the second serve. You look for Kyrgios. Yes, he only made 57% of his first serves. He won 75% of his service points in the match. Not just first serve, not just second serve. And technically, if I'm rounding up, he won 76% of his service points in the match. Saved seven of the eight break points that he faced. Now, credit to Tsitsipas, who cracked himself an opening at the end of that second set, uh, first set twice. You know, 4-5, he has a set point on Kyrgios in that first set. Kyrgios able to fight it off with a conservative, you know, plus one, just kind of grinding into that Pass backhand corner eventually produces an error that was not... You know, again, Kyrgios got tentative at the end of the first set. Pass made him pay. Connected on a couple of returns, took them a little bit early. And, you know, Kyrgios, who... For all of his bravado, for all of his shot-making capability, for the power he's able to produce in the outer thirds of the court, he's also not uncomfortable grinding. And that's where we get to the flip side of this match for Nick Kyrgios, who drops that first set 7-5. His ability to play with plus one aggression, and again, you look for... Kyrgios this season holding ninety three point eight percent of the time, which is not only a career high for him, but again that number would rank number one on the ATP tour this season. He's been exceptional uh, behind that first serve and creating opportunities for himself with the plus one forehand. His willingness to serve and volley, willingness to move forward. Obviously, I saw the behind the back volley. I saw the two on the run forehand passing shots he hit at what two three uh, at three two and what four two I believe or four three. In that second set, all of that was extraordinary. But how Nick Kyrgios won this match is by grinding Stefanos Tsitsipas down. And I know that sounds, you know, uh, oxymoronic to say about a grass court match. But Kyrgios did an exceptional job of just guiding his backhand return onto the ad side of the record, getting enough depth to where either A, Tsitsipas would have to hit a backhand or B, Tsitsipas could hit an inside out forehand but had compromised himself from a movement perspective. And then curious with his condensed backswing on that backhand, he's just able to generate comfortable depth, comfortable pace, absorb your blow on that wing every time. Of course, the forehand can get a little big, and his backswing can be a little bit extreme. But he may have the best racket speed of any mortal human, aka not Rafael Nadal, any mortal human on the ATP Tour. I mean, again, that's the sort of power the guy can generate on that forehand wing, and that's when you turn to the two forehand passing shots he hits to secure, you know, or again, to stay in front in that second set. And by the way, again, after losing the first set, being frustrated, breaking a racket after losing that first set 7-5, Kyrgios comes right out and breaks Tsitsipas. To start the second set, of course you look f- for Kyrgios again. Third set, for all, what does Nick Kyrgios do? Nothing impressive. Didn't s- I mean, nothing extraordinarily impressive? It wasn't slapped forehand return winners. It was guide the backhand on the return into the Pass backhand corner, sit in that ad side to set up a forehand, and go watch the break point. He executes four five four. It was a solid return to the Tsitsipas backhand corner to set up the inside-out forehand, which drew a short ball, which he put away inside-in. It's just solid, disciplined, focused tennis out of Nick Kyrgios today against Tsitsipas. And I thought we saw that same focus from him last week in his three-set win over Nicholas Basilashvili, which is, of course, you know, again, not the litmus test. If Nick Kyrgios wants to win Wimbledon, you know, it's it's these sorts of performances against the Tsitsipas you weigh more certainly than a performance against the Basilashvili. But if he wants to get to the second week of Wimbledon, it's the Basilashvili's who he has to stay focused and solid against because Nicholas Basilashvili can match anyone's firepower, right? And he's going to get... High and slap a few winners around the court and make you uncomfortable. And look, really took the first set 7-6 over Kyrgios last week. And Kyrgios, much like he did against Tsitsipas today in set two again, opened the second set with a break of serve. He just does have a gear to put returns in play and get the point started, you know, at neutral, and then at neutral, because he is so dangerous on the forehand wing, because he is willing to move forward at a moment's notice, throw in the drop shots, throw in the slices, make you uncomfortable. You're just always on your back foot against Nick Kyrgios. And again, on this surface in particular, that matters. And for Kyrgios this season, the numbers say it. He's 90, you know, again, was holding 92.7% of the time entering the week. That number has snuck up with his success on the grass courts, but that's a career high. And obviously, if you're over the 90% club, you're hanging out with the Isners, with the Opelkas, with the best versions of Berrettini. You're one of the three or four best servers on the ATP Tour. Of course, that break percentage for Kyrgios, up to 20.4%, which sounds not great. It would be outside the top 30 amongst top 50 players, but it's a career high for Nick. And again, when you're holding 93% of the time, you only need the one break a set. 20% of the time, that means you're getting your one break per set. And even if you are broken, and again, 93% of the time, you're not getting broken very frequently, but it happens in that 10th service game uh, you know, that you play in the match you're averaging getting broken once per 10 games you're breaking twice per 10 games you're playing tiebreakers and you look for Kyrios this season he's three and five in breakers on the year which is actually no that can't be right is it because I see four tiebreak victories for him already okay that's incorrect for him this season let's see secondary number Nick Kyrios in tiebreakers three and five allegedly but I see three victories for him I see four. Oh, he lost that match okay I apologize tennis abstract wow please no one tell Jeff Sackman that I just doubted him because I never, never doubt Jeff Sackman in Tennis Abstract. He is three and five this season in breakers. That is a little disappointing for him, but fourteen and five overall on the season. And I'm not going to do the good win, bad lo- you know, bad loss, good loss for you again. You've all heard the five losses if you listen to this podcast already. Medvedev, Nadal, Sinner, Opelka, and Murray last week. The argument David Gertler, our friend at, all, at Tennis Blogger one on Twitter, presented to me is, well, he's not playing on the slow surfaces, so of course his numbers are going to look good when he's playing on surfaces that are most advantageous to him. Okay, my counter to that is he's playing on surfaces that are most advantageous to him. It doesn't matter what Nick Kyrgios looks like on a clay court when he's playing on a grass court. It matters what Nick Kyrgios looks like on a grass court. And again, for Kyrgios now overall in his career on grass courts, 34 and 18. Overall, reached the third round of Wimbledon last year, where obviously he was forced to retire due to injury. But you know, beat Ugo Umber, who had won the title in Hala the week before, two weeks before, had all of this momentum. And of course, you look for Kirios third round Wimbledon 2018, where he's knocked out by Kane Ishikori. Round of 16, we all remember in 2016, uh, where he was knocked out by Andy Murray. You know, round of 16 in 2015, his big breakthrough, that quarterfinal in 2014, where he beats Nadal, but was ultimately knocked out by Milos Raonic and perhaps what people forget about that 2014 Wimbledon not only did he beat Rafa Nadal he also in five sets knocked off 13th seeded Richard Gasquet 10-8 in the fifth set now part two of the argument which was presented by the guy with or or Gal, I apologize. I think you're a guy, but maybe I'm incorrect. I apologize. I don't mean to slight you here, but the argument presented by the Twitter account with Maxime Cressy in the name, who is very fun to engage with, always enjoy having the opportunity to do so on Twitter, presented the argument, well, none of this matters if Nick Kyrgios isn't fit, right? Because the issue for him consistently has been how fit is he heading into these grand slams? My argument to that would be, what more can he do to prove that he is fit? heading into this year's Wimbledon. Again, not only is he playing Stuttgart the week before, where straight set win over Lechetschka, three-set win over Vili, straight set victory, although retirement in the second set against Fucevic, but it was a very competitive 7-6 first set. And then, you know, again, hour and a half, sure, but gets knocked out by Andy Murray in the semifinals. Okay, well, this week beats Altmaier, beats Tsitsipas, is next taking on a guy in Kareno Busta who has six career grass court victories Like seven matches in the two weeks leading up to the 2022 Wimbledon. Maybe he plays again next week as well. What more can Nick Kyrgios do at this point to prove that he is fit and focused heading into this 2022 Wimbledon? Now, again, you may still have doubts about him in three out of five sets, and I don't think there's anything I can do to qualm those doubts with an argument. I think you're right. Nick Kyrios certainly, and when I say you, I mean. Twitter account with Maxime Cressy. I think he has a point that until Kyrgios proves not just one five-set match, but that he can play two five-set matches in a four-match span and still have legs left under him in that fifth, which would be a hypothetical quarterfinal match at a Grand Slam. Well, until he can prove that, we are going to have doubts about him. That said, again, He has played, you know, this will be his seventh match tomorrow in two weeks, which you look for, you know, over the past couple of seasons for uh, Kyrgios. He played one week of tennis heading into the Australian Open, you know, Beats Umber, knocked down five sets by uh, by excuse me Dominic team at last year's Australian Open. One week of preparation, he seemed fairly ready. Now there was no preparation for him heading into Wimbledon last year. Physically, he broke down by uh, by the time he played Felix in round number three. Now last year played Atlanta, Washington, Canada before playing the U.S. Open, loses in straight sets to Bautista Gut. I don't know that I put that loss on fitness. Uh you know 2020 Australian Open played one warm up event at the ATP Cup before playing the Australian Open. He made the fourth round. I guess my argument from a data perspective would be it seems at this point in his career for Kyrgios two week you know to play events two out of the three weeks or if he plays next week's three weeks consecutively heading into Wimbledon. I don't know there's much more that we, he can do to prove that he is fit but again if if it's ever going to happen for Kyrios, if there's ever a draw lining up for him to make another sort of deep run in his career, it does feel like this 2022 Wimbledon, where you don't know the exact health of Rafael Nadal, where, yeah, Djokovic is still the prohibitive favorite, minus 125 right now, according to the odds makers. He's literally the favorite against everyone else in the field, deservedly so. But we haven't seen him. Play that many matches this season, and obviously, no Zverev, no Medvedev, no Rublev. Yes, Berrettini's exceptional, and I'm not writing Matteo Berrettini off. Felix ogier seems still alive in Halle. He's exceptional. Kyrgios loses to Andy Murray. Certainly, there will be players capable of that sort of performance over three out of five sets in a slam. That said... It feels like you're going to have to put together a pretty strong performance, particularly from the start if this is the Nick that we're going to see at the 2022 Wimbledon. And again, he's made multiple round of 16s quarterfinals. He has as successful a track record as any guy in the top 20. You know, again, he's played more grass court matches than an Alcaraz, than a Fritz, than a Nori, than a Hurkats, and then a Sinner, than a Shapovalov, who's so up and down despite making last year's semifinals at Wimbledon. The point being, given the lack of proven commodities on these grass courts, if this Nick Kyrgios shows up, Absolutely should not not can should uh, unless he's in Djokovic's section or Nadal's should make the second week. Of Wimbledon. And by the way, for Nick Kyrgios from a ranking perspective, just worth noting that uh, the 27 year old reapproaching the top 50 of the rankings has played six total events this season uh, and is currently number 52 in the ATP rankings. If he earns one more victory this week, if he is able to knock out Crano Busta, he'll be back into the ATP top 50. Pretty impressive. I mean, again, Being a part-time player, would we love to see more of Kyrgios, see him competing all year round? Absolutely. When he does compete, particularly this season, as I continue to reiterate, we have gotten, for at least one set in every match, the best of Nick Kyrios, And hopefully that continues throughout the rest of this grass court season. But That was far too long on Nick Kyrgios. I do apologize for that fact. It was a fantastic match, though, right? That was your match of the day. Again, three-set victory for him. 5-7, 6-2, 6-4 over Tsitsipas. I actually don't think Tsitsipas played poorly, by the way, in that match. I do think Kyrgios has the sort of serve that is particularly end-game, that is particularly built to exploit the weaknesses of Tsitsipas in this surface. But again, Tsitsipas, 16 and 14 on the grass court. His plus one tennis in set number one was able to match the plus one tennis of an in-form Nick Kyrgios. That sort of gear matters. Now, obviously, again, the backhand broke down throughout the course of the match, But how many opponents have the sort of serves are going to be able to break that backhand down the way Kyrgios routinely was able to do so in the draw? Not many. I'm actually stock up on Stefano Tsitsipas as a grass court player because that plus one game, that serve, that forehand, his willingness to move forward. He snapped off a forehand put-away volley behind Kyrgios on a serve and volley that was just elite. It's just like that is how you are snapping. That's how you should snap off a first forehand volley if you're serving and volleying. He has that gear to him. I'm impressed with Tsitsipas. Pass. Stock up for him despite the loss. Uh, you look at the rest of Hala, and we'll do these quickly. For Felix, three set win over Marcos Girone. He's just UCLA singles champions. You're not going to beat Felix Ogier Alias Simas today. He knocks off Mackie McDonald, 7-6-6-1. Felix went up an early break. Oh no, this was that was against Giron. Excuse me, it was up a set and a break before Giron worked his way back. You look for Felix in this match, and I mean again. I know we titled this an episode last week. Plus One Tennis is the name of the game on a grass court. Felix Ogierale has seen 15 aces in this match. Made 66% of his first serves, won 80% of his first serve points, faced one break point in the match. He saved it with a big first serve. And again, Mackie McDonald, the sort of player who can take that ball early on the rise, change direction on you, and you know, again, is going to do a great job of attacking Felix and trying to move in towards that backhand. You look for Mackie on the point he's broken in set number one, hits an approach shot, you know, a tentative but outer third approach shot to the Felix backhand. Felix anticipated it executed beautifully on that backhand down the line. And that's the thing for a Felix or, you know, it's the most extreme is with Stevie Johnson. But it's not as though Felix doesn't know his backhand is going to be targeted. And I do think he has consistently gotten better at generating depth defensively and went on the move out of that backhand corner and again his willingness and ability to move forward play the plus one tennis serve and volley the service stats speak for themselves in this match it was a dominant service performance and again that plus one tennis just wore down Mackie McDonald who just wasn't able to match plus ones with Felix in this moment. But Felix did a great job capitalizing and punishing Mackie McDonald's second serve as well. He has gotten more dynamic as a returner. He's so excellent at sustaining his aggressive mindset. He had 41 winners against 15 unforced errors in this match. And even if you take away the 15 aces, 26 winners against 15 unforced errors versus the 11-12 number for Mackie McDonald, that's that epitomizing. You know, again, 12 of 18 at the net. This match was played on Felix's terms, and again, credit to Felix for the straight set victory. By the way, for those curious, for Nick Kyrgios against Tsitsipas, Kyrgios, only nine aces, 32 winners against—32 uh, winners, 19 unforced errors. Tsitsipas, 39 winners against 21 unforced errors. Of course, Tsitsipas, though, hit 30—hit uh, 18 aces, excuse me, so really, 21 winners against 21 aces from the ground versus Kyrgios, 23 winners, 19 unforced errors from the ground, although it doesn't include double faults as well. Point being, the guys with the plus one cannons, Felix, Kyrios, advancing in HALA, and obviously now neither going to play one another quite yet, but both do advance to the quarterfinal rounds for Felix. It's going to be a date with number five seed Hubi Hercotts. Of course, Hercats, semi-finalist at last year's Wimbledon, knocks off last year's HALA champion Ugo Umber, seven six six three victory uh, for Hercotts, obviously given the the cache of points Hercots has at, from last year's Wimbledon that aren't going to be able to defend it. There is an urgency for Hubie right now, who was exceptional on the first serve, won 82% of those first serve points. Now, he only made 46% of his first serves in this match. How was Hubie able to scrap his way to victory? He looked pretty good on the move. Again, has that Medvedev fluidity for a guy his size on the baseline and obviously isn't as competent as Medvedev is on the run, but able to find ways to be aggressive, able to find ways to move forward. I mean, hubi Hercats, you feel like you can pencil him into the second week of Wimbledon right now, again, with how aggressive he can be, how comfortable he is hitting that backhand return in particular, just, you know, kind of out plus one to Umber. And the lefty's always tricky. Hits his spots well. Again, only three total breaks of serve in this match. They trade a couple of breaks in set number one. Only one break in set number two. You know, Horcots was just a little bit better at everything. Better at the plus one. Better when the rallies went longer. Again, 81 total points for Herkotts, 73 total points for Her- Umber, plus one tennis at its finest. Herkotts able to advance to set up, again, a very fun matchup, certainly with Felix. Felix 1-0 in his career against Hubi For Kyrios. he's going to take on Pablo Carrena Busta, the number six seed three-set victory again in his first-round match. Uh, excuse me, first-round match with straight sets over Holger uh, third, uh This time, it's a three-set victory over Sebastian Corda. Corda was too streaky throughout the course of this match. You look for Corda overall: 22 winners against 32 unforced errors. You know, three aces against five double faults. Only made 56% of his first serves. He just left too many openings for Carreno Busta. And again, in that second set, which Corda took six love, that's how I thought the match was going to look from the start. Corda dictating. You know, having the ability to change direction at will when Carreno Busta didn't land the first serve because. Korda had the power advantage. Korda was, you know, again, his ability to drive on that backhand was probably the biggest weapon on the court. Korda's first serve in a vacuum, probably the bigger first serve than Carino Busta. But Carino Busta was just better at all the little things, putting more returns in play, generating depth, working his way out of the corners. Again, for Carino Busta, 18 winners against 16 unforced errors wasn't anything particularly special, but was good enough. And now for Carino Busta, Had uh, four career grass court victories heading into this season. Had, you know, I believe from 2014 to 2018, went winless on grass courts. So they've surely gotten better. And again, uh, made a semifinal, I believe, last year on the grass. Won a couple matches at Wimbledon. Gets a couple of wins here over a couple of youngsters in Runa and Corda. Good quarterfinal. For Kareno Busta, again, now he's going to take on Nick Kyrgios, who he is 0-2 against in his career. That's a pretty good draw for Kyrgios. And again, that bottom half of the draw, Kyrgios, Kareno Busta, FAA, Herkots. No matter what permutation emerges, I think that's a pretty damn fun bottom half of the draw. Of course, tomorrow, top half of the draw continues. Medvedev going to take on Ivashka. Spur going to take on RBA. That's a tricky one. Two guys who do a bunch of things well. You know, again, Spur will be disciplined. He's not going to be baited into challenging RBAs on the run forehand, particularly on these grass courts where you just never know where RBA is going to hit. And so you're paralyzed whenever he has that running forehand. But Greece, we're going to absorb that well, going to play with rhythm. We'll be just as patient as RBA in terms of grinds as grinds go on a grass court. That one has grind written all over it. Power tennis at its finest. Basilashvili can take on Oscar Ota. And then if Karen Hatchinov doesn't dust Laszlo Jure tomorrow, consider Considering he can't play Wimbledon, has quarterfinal points to defend Jure. I believe just three career wins on a grass court. I, that feels like a, a solid victory for Hachinov. But again, the urgency. The Russians are all playing. Ivashka, Belarusian, not going to be able to play Wimbledon. You have some urgency, certainly, uh, in tomorrow's matches. We'll keep our eye on the action in Hala. I went way too long on the Curio segment, so I'm going to have to play catch-up here down the home stretch. Of course, you go to our second ATP tournament. That's the action happening in London. We'll go a bit quicker uh, here with this action. Player of the day is Emil Roussevori. Roussevori, 6-2, 7-6 victory over Jack Draper. You look for Roussevori, the 23-year-old, currently at a new career high, number 56 in the live rankings, entering the week. He's up to number 47 now with his quarterfinal appearance at the 500 in London, you look for Roussevori in his career on the grass court, 7-5 overall, but this is his first quarterfinal for him ever on this surface. You also look for Roussevori just in general here, 26-16 now in 2022 against opponents ranked outside the top 50. He's 22-5. Now, 4-11 against the top 50, That needs some work, and certainly you look at who the losses are to, the sinners of the world, Rafa's FAA in Australia. He's played some close matches against top 50 opponents, and again, of those 11 top 50 losses, seven of them were also to top 20 opponents. He's 0-7 against the top 20, but unless you have an elite top 20 sort of skill, the power to expose his lack of elite movement. Although Rusevori has gotten better and better, more fluid, stronger with his first step, better at changing directions. He does continue to improve as a mover. Unless you have something elite- To disrupt his rhythm with, though, he's playing on his terms. I mean, the power he can generate, forehand wing, backhand wing from the baseline, absolutely special with his improved movement. He's just to the net a split second faster. And he's always been a solid volleyer who knows what to do, where to go with the ball. But again, 26-16 and overall this year, 22-5 and against opponents ranked outside the top 50 as such has unequivocally earned his place in the top 50. Was it broken today? In a 2-6 and six victory over Jack Draper, pressured Draper so well behind the first serve when 90% of his first serve points hit, I think, like 14 aces or something crazy uh, like that today. And certainly, you know, it felt like Draper was too far behind the baseline at times, too willing, and just... To trying to put that return in play instead of maybe changing up his tactics, being aggressive, just trying to put some pressure on the qualifying Ru- Roussevori, who, by the way, has come through qualifying now to make the quarterfinals here. Look, Roussevori not going to be seeded. At Wimbledon, but if I'm a 25 seed, 20, I mean, if I'm any seed and he's my first round opponent, I'm bummed. I'm hoping he faces an unseeded player. and I don't have to face him till round two, round three, because again, that's the sort of challenge Rusevori provides. And you know, for Rusevori coming into the year in terms of ATP level matches uh, on clay courts, Rusevori uh, was two and uh, two and seven overall. In ATP level clay court matches, goes six and six in the clay court season. We said this after Australia. If he could just go five hundred, earn four, five victories, he would sustain and be able to make a top fifty push because he does excel on these quicker surfaces or hard courts in general. And lo and behold, that's precisely what Rousseau does. You look for him at the end of last season, made semifinals Winston Salem, quarterfinals, North Sultan, you know, semifinals Atlanta as well, has some serious. Points to defend this summer, but has put himself in a position to get into main draws in DC, in Canada, in Cincinnati. He's going to get to set his schedule the rest of the season. And again, that's really all you can ask for at 23 years old. Rusivori, we've talked about him now for like three years here on this podcast. I think the big click is funny. He's always had the weapons, but the physicality has caught up for him. He's starting to pop. Again, it's going to be a really fun matchup between he and Marin Chilich. Chilich. Playing a typically streaky match against Sasha Bublik, I believe was down six-two in the first set breaker. Ultimately took it eight-six, then ran out to a three-love lead in the second set, only to see Bublik, you know, uh, close the gap. And ultimately they go to bonus time. But six and five win for Chilich. He's serving well. He's hitting the plus one well. He's clearly fit. He's clearly confident. He just can find that aggression. That again, six-foot-six. He's the original long, lanky prototype. Give him some confidence now in grass court. He's won a couple of matches, finding his footing. I mean, we just saw him do it at Roland Garros. Absolutely a second week threat this year at Wimbledon. You look at the other results today. You know, this is always the tough thing for Grigor Dimitrov, who was amazing in a three-set victory over Cam Norrie round one, but got a little sloppy, particularly in set number two against Botic Vandison Schkulp. And Vanderson Shkulp will do that to you, right? He just, again, mucks things up and is going to throw in the slice and throw in the shorter-than-you-expected angles and just you're never hitting from a comfortable position on the court. But he broke the rhythm of Grigor throughout this match. Grigor, 19 winners against 26 unforced errors. For Botick, 23 winners against just 12 unforced errors. You know, Grigor came out hot and certainly, again, physically seemed locked in at the start, but Botick slowly broke him down. And by every category, Botick, you know, plus 12 in the 0 to 4 shot rallies, plus 6 in the 5 plus shot rallies. Botick was. It just, again, was able to draw and generate the backhand errors from Dimitrov by hitting the forehand slicer, hitting the short angle. Just wasn't perfect. It wasn't in the Dimitrov strike zone. And again, when Dimitrov's playing in his strike zone, obviously he's a completely different player. Those strokes so beautiful, but Botic never lets you play in your strike zone. And now very fun quarter, uh, quarterfinal botic going to take on Davidovich Fokina. I have a lot of thoughts On Davidovich, Fokina, Demon Hour, I'll simply say this. If you're going to rewatch any match, I know Kyrgios sitsipas seems like the obvious one. Don't. The tennis isn't as entertaining as Davidovich, Fokina, Demon Hour. I mean, every Alex Demon Hour match is inherently entertaining because of how fast he is and his ability to extend rallies and make magic happen in the outer thirds. And then you put Davidovich Fokina on the side, who has a Twitter account dedicated to every time he dives around the court. And, you know, again, his explosiveness as an athlete as well. This four six six four seven five match was worthy of the score. Exceptional track meet tennis from the start. Yes, there are waves of unforced errors, but that was my match of the day on the men's side. I thought it was splendid. And again, your quarterfinal, two of your four quarterfinals set, of course, tomorrow going to be even funkier. Tommy Paul going to take on Stan Wawrinka. Paul, the three-set win over Shapovalov. Shapovalov hasn't won a match since beating Nadal uh, during the clay court season. He's going to take on a Stan. You just wonder how are Stan's legs feeling after that marathon against Tiafoe. Of course, Kudla versus Berrettini. Berrettini, size advantage. Kudla, I mean, knows how to move a ball around a court. And again, Barrettini's played a lot of tennis in the last eight days. That match, inherently intriguing, just given Kudla's uh, grass court prowess. That's your bottom half matchups. Of course, Krayanovich, Query, Surindolo, Penniston, certainly fascinating for many different reasons as well. But that's your action from Wednesday on the ATP Tour. Let's switch sides now. Focus on the WTA action. It was a rather straightforward day uh, on the women's side. Again. Not going to, unfortunately, have time to spend quite as long as this on this side as I did the other today, but, of course, we'll make up for that fact on the back half of this week. Certainly two of the matches of the day, Daria Kasatkina just physically able to wear down Ekaterina Alexandrova. Alexandrova was exceptional, certainly, in that first set, striking everything cleanly, hitting the first serve, looking exactly like she looked last week, but then she looked gassed, and that's a credit to Kasatkina, who's able to, incorporate her physical brand of tennis on any surface also able to incorporate the short angles the slices the lobs just extend rallies make you uncomfortable Alexandrova just ran on the legs down the home stretch of that match but again for Daria Kasakina coming off of that French Open semifinal, final sixth right now in the points race. You look uh, for the 25-year-old. She's 13th in the live rankings as well. Kasakina has been exceptional on every surface over these last, really, 18 months and just is a different player than when she made the top 10 early in her career. Again, her floor, match-in, match-out, just such a tough out. It was exactly the matchup. Alexandrova didn't need someone who was going to absorb her first blow and be able to extend points physically. Alexandrova just ran out of gas uh, at the end, so ultimately the six-seeded Kasakina advances where, look, it's going to be a fun match for Kasakina. She's going to take on number two-seeded Maria Sakari. Kasakina, 4-0, in her career head-to-head against Sakari. Obviously, no points at Wimbledon, but Sakina not even going to be able to play Wimbledon. You do wonder, is there an add importance to all of these one events for her? Something to keep in mind, particularly given that lopsided head-to-head, of course. Your other match of the day, Carolina Pliskova versus Bianca Andreescu. Simply put, both of these players, if playing well, depending on the draw, you could see them both in the quarterfinals of the 2022 Wimbledon. There was a point where Andreescu won, I think, 17 consecutive, of first serve points in this match. And I mean, you look for Carolina Pliskova, she won 70% of her first serve points and hit 12 aces in this match. This was plus one tennis. I also thought Pliskova moved particularly well in this match. This is the first time she just looked comfortable finding her range in the outer thirds of the courts. The depth, the pace she generates, how flat that ball stays and low it stays on this surface. And again, credit to Bibi, who there are a bunch of breaks in that first set back and forth as both tried to find their rhythm. Pliskova just a little bit cleaner at the end of that first set, but then Bibi found her form in that second set. And again, when she's able to find her plus one, just her ability to move that ball around the court, her defensive skills, the depth she can generate, the angles she can play. There there's every there are five minutes in every match for Bianca Andreescu where you're just reminded, oh my gosh, if this girl can stay healthy for 52 weeks, she can be as good as ever. Anyone on the WTA Tour has those sorts of weapons, those sorts of creativity. It's just about, again, sustaining that level from start to finish in a match. Feels like she's playing so many different three-setters of late. Uh, But ultimately, the big serving consistency, you know, again, the relentlessness of that power from Pliskova. 7-6 in the third, 9-7. This was an either-or match. Again, both of them on the short list uh, for second-week contenders, certainly, and that's not a hot take. Pliskova made the finals of Wimbledon last year, and Andreeski's a freaking Grand Slam champion, but boy, did they both look the part. That was a very, very fun round-of-16 match. Of course, you had a win from Sasnovich, 4-4 four four, over Petkovic. I mentioned the Sakharin win, 1-5 over Daria Seville. The match of the day to me, the most relevant in Berlin, was Kokogoth, 6-2, 7-6. She knocks out Lee, go watch the eight-minute highlight package available on the WTA YouTube channel of this match and tell me there are players on the WTA tour who are—list the players for me, please. I'll wait who are more impressive as movers on this surface than Coco Goff. She was able to play defense against Ann Lee, and Ann Lee was relentless from the baseline, particularly in that second set, and just— Again, there was no separation, seemingly, between her and Goff, both of them connecting on the return of serve fairly comfortably, both of them earning two breaks of serve in that second set. Again, Goff could just do a little bit more, though. She was better in the outer thirds of the court, better at playing defense, and then when she landed the first serve and got a short ball to attack, she was willing to attack it. She is exceptional as a volleyer, comfortable hitting the overhead out of the air and just you know, again, picks her spots so well uh, on this grass court, attacks opening so well on these grass courts. I mentioned this yesterday with Nate, but you look for Coco Goff now in her career on grass courts, a ridiculous 11 and 3. And it's like fourth round Wimbledon, fourth round Wimbledon. A second-round loss in three sets last year in Eastbourne to Sevastova, which was her second grass court match in two years, and it was still a three-set loss. She's 11-3, and three, and her losses are to Halep and Kerber. I'm throwing out the Sevastova loss. Again, I test-wise, I test-wise, I know the numbers, she wins something like 70% of her first serve points against Ann Lee today, despite only making, you know, concerning she only made 57% of her first serves, but... Just go it's it's an eye test thing. It's how complete of a game she's able to play on this surface, how her forehand did not look impacted at all by the lower bouncer having time taken away. And actually felt like her forehand slice became slightly more effective and just again how fluid she is in the outer thirds of the courts. It's the movers to me, the Alexandrovas, the Haddad Mayas, the risks in week number one who have had particular amounts of success. You're just reminded how difficult movement is on this surface, and when you can do it comfortably, that skill comes at a premium. I mean, Coco Golf looked exceptional. Uh, today in a 2-6 and six victory at times against Anley. Again, I kind of get number two still feels a little extreme, but I get why there is excitement about her. Of course, now you look at this draw in Berlin, and it is a 500 event, but Pliskova uh, advancing to the quarterfinals. She'll face the winner of Goff and Shinyu Wong. Goff around behind right now, of course. Uh, you've got Onjabur versus qualifier Alicia Parks. That's a fun match. Again, Parks, the power tennis she can play on this surface. It's something to deal with. Uh, Certainly Bencic, Kalinskaya, it was a 6-2 match last week. That's a fun rematch as well. Samsonova, Kudermatova, hello, might be your match of the day tomorrow. Um, and then again, no matter what the permutations are, I think this is going to be a pretty fun home stretch to the WTA action happening in Berlin. Of course, again, you look at the WTA action, we've got two more grass courts this week happening in Italy, happening in Birmingham. We'll start with Birmingham. It was a very straightforward day of tennis. on uh, at this event. Certainly, you look overall, all the matches uh, ending in straight sets. I suppose the upset of the day, Donna Vekic, 7-5, 6-3 win over a very much informed Katie McNally, but tough to call that an upset, right? Certainly from a pedigree perspective, but Vekic, the former world number 19, current world number 92, not only more experienced on the grass courts, the higher ranked player coming into the match, and you look for Vekic, 35 and 25 now in her career on grass courts. She's you know, made a final made. Uh, she's won a title in Nottingham. Made a separate final in Nottingham. Made a round of sixteen at Wimbledon before as well. Finals of Birmingham back in 2013. One of her breakthrough events. This is the surface where again the cuts she can take, the depth of her ground strokes. They're just tough to react to. And so just a reminder, Vekic, who came through qualifying at this event, win over Vandaway win over McNally, now going to take on a very much informed Serana Kirstea. Uh, but keep an eye on Vekic. And again, not a player if you're a seed. You want to face in round number one, of course. You look at the other results on the way. Simona Halep, I, You know, Cale Hammond and I disagreed on tennis bets hitting winners, but I think Halep looks really good. I just think she looks locked in physically, moving the ball really well around the court, just absorbed the first blow of Harriet Dart so well, and, you know, again— three and two in an hour and two minutes. Simona looked exceptional. I thought, you know, Kirsteo really good in a one-on-one victory as well. And then shout out to you, Katie Bolter, six and one victory over Caroline Garcia. You look for Bolter now, the 25-year-old back up to number 127 in the rankings, got a wild card into Wimbledon, no points available there, but certainly has positioned herself to gain some momentum heading into uh, a summer where, you know, again, surface, she certainly uh, doesn't not prefer in the hard courts but that was your action over in Birmingham again fairly straightforward day of tennis and then of course at the 125 happening in Italy again straight set victory from top seed Ali Van Uytvank you did have an upset Roos knocked down three set uh straight sets by Anna Bogdan you also had Harmony Tan three set victory over Lucia Bronzetti as well you look at the draw some of the names to keep an eye on Claire Liu number 4 seed how does she fare She's got Tatiana Maria in round number one. She's always sneaky dark horse, it feels like, come slam time. The always tricky Sarah Arani in the draw as well. And, of course, Arani, a three-set victory over Madison Brangle in round number one. So some names to keep an eye on over in Italy as well. But with all of that said, that's your action from Wednesday on the ATP and WTA tours. Of course, again, we will be back tomorrow to break down all of Thursday's tennis. We will also have a great shot podcast for you breaking down not only the ITA men's kickoff draft, but of course, some of the players with collegiate ties having success right now on the pro tour. Of course, all of that content available on our website, CrackRackets.com. A shout out as always to super producer Daniel Westoff for the f- about editing job he does making all the content possible shout out as well to our friends at tennis point tennis point.com the promo code is cr15 with all of that said for our super producer daniel westoff our friends at tennis point from all of us here at both crack rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin you know what we say that's the break we'll talk to you all tomorrow thanks everyone you <laughs>